Frank. Frank, come on, man. Can I Be Frank is all about capturing real, authentic, unedited conversation. Please do consider supporting the process of podcasting and video making on Patreon or through PayPal. I will put some links in the description below. Thanks, Emil. Hi, this is episode 43 with Ivor Cummins. Ivor Cummins is a chemical engineer turned health advocate. He's co-authored a book called uh, Eat Rich, Live Long, and he speaks all around the world about the low-carb, uh, low high-fat diet and the positive implications that it can have on your health. I've been particularly interested in this area because I suppose I've been trying to live a little bit healthier, trying to keep lean, and um, I, I was very lucky to stumble upon Ivor. Um, he's a huge amount of videos online. If you're at all interested in losing weight and your overall health uh, this guy he just really knows the stuff and um i find it very interesting um uh, and so here it is and that is david bobbitt who is one of ireland's most successful entrepreneurs he runs and owns a 700 million dollar business and he started a charity called Irish Heart Disease Awareness Association, and that's who I work on behalf of. And he has a fixation with giving people the chance that he got six years ago at the age of 52, a chance to save his own life. So I'll also give another disclosure. We have a book out, uh, myself and Dr. Gerber from Denver, a super doc, I think, uh, and it goes through all of the science of health. Uh, maybe we should um, start from somewhere in the sense of the idea of a chemical engineer mm. getting into this area. Now, so there's a bit of a description on your website, but maybe that's the starting point. To kind mm. of, um, and I might as well give a mention to Robert Keegan, uh, who recommended, you don't know Robert, but it's in, oh, yeah, Robert in Canada, and he, and he sent, uh, the, sent your video, one of your videos to me. But um, yeah, he started in a totally different area obviously yeah big time so how did what happened exactly to, that you would end up getting thirty thousand subscribers on youtube about this particular subject of health and heart disease and all that yeah or are we going we're going there yeah yeah we'll, okay. we'll start with that well i just kind of want to get a sense of a ha yeah i mean it's a radical thing to i think it's a radical thing to do to go given your background to just obviously a part of your personality to maybe want to delve deeply mm. into something like this not just kind of on the surface look at something as most of us do you yeah for sure frank so yeah. my my history is basically biochemical engineer originally mm. uh, and i took the biochemical stream because i was kind of interested a little in that but i didn't know how much i it turned out to be in third and fourth year in college uh, from an engineering degree the biochemistry of life was my favorite subject mm. by a mile so i really enjoyed it but then I went into corporate world, process engineering and medical device manufacture, and I quickly found that my expertise, my special expertise, was as a, a problem solver, complex mm -hmm. problem solver. And to what you said there, yeah, I like to go deep. I'm obsessed with mechanisms, and I love solving problems. I was a lifelong kind of technical person, even as a child, mm -hmm. making bicycles from different parts and woodwork, everything. So long story short, I spent many, many years in corporate, medical device, then microfluidic devices, high volume. But what marked my career was getting more and more to be a leader in complex problem solving, mm. eventually leading teams across three or four countries around the world in massive problems, multi-factor problems. So that was my thing. Yeah. That was my success. I went into management after around 15 years of that, moving higher and higher in the organizations. And I managed people for a further 15 years. Mm. But I also, when in that people management role over technical people, anytime a really major issue came up in the corporation, a worldwide technical problem with millions of dollars at stake, 
I would often, when it got bad enough, be called and have to drop my management role and take over all the teams to lead okay. root cause resolution. Right. So, yeah, that's always been my life, is solving problems, you know, deep stats, deep technical mechanisms, logical an- analysis, comparative analysis, all the elements of problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. And then you would say, well, how did this happen? How did yeah. I become the biochemical engineer who is solving the problems of chronic disease, human yeah. health? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, but obviously that mind, the, uh, that mind came into play or that those characteristics uh, that you were saying that about problems, obviously like if you hear a problem, you're not going to, you're not the type that just goes, eh, somebody else will fix that. It's good. say that again, or tell me that, tell me more. Right. Well, that's it. When you get engaged in the problem, even if your bandwidth is limited and you know you sh- maybe don't have time to spend on this, mm. you're exactly right. What I do is I tend, I need to know yeah. that kind of person. So I get engaged. So I was always very busy. But what happened in uh, 2012, I think it was late 12, coming into 13, I got some standard blood tests. Yeah. And a few of those measures, there were liver enzymes were high, certain ones, ferritin, the iron loading in the blood was extremely high. My cholesterol was apparently high. And the doctor I was seeing, there were only routine blood tests. Uh, there was nothing wrong with me at the time, supposedly. Mm. Um, kind of showed me the data because I said, oh, well, what's high? And she said, oh, well, here and explained. And I looked and there's a lab reference range for all measures. So we'll take GGT, the liver enzyme I was high in, okay. which is very ominous, I soon found out, right. to be high. That, that wouldn't mean nothing to me. Somebody would have to explain to me why that's a problem. It would be nothing to the vast majority. Yeah. And even to the doctor, it didn't mean a huge amount. But basically, you, could, you should be between 15 and 50, apparently. Okay. And I was over 100. Right. So I knew from my history, even though I wasn't sure what GGT was at that moment in time, I knew I'm way outside the normal range. Mm. And if this is a measurement that is done, it's done for a reason. And if I'm that far out, I don't know what it's about, but I know that is meaningful. That's really important. I just knew that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. There's the average and you're way above the average. I can get that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, or normal and you are blowing normal out of the, yeah. Out of the water. And and that's the thing. So does, that may be acute. And I, my mind was whirring as she, uh, the person was going through it but i was thinking right okay that's so far out it could be acute and not too meaningful but if it's persistent that's really meaningful they don't test this for for no reason and my ferritin was similar way out and my cholesterol was high so long story short the doctor really hadn't got much advice because i always ask two questions when i'm brought into a a problem Mm -hmm. as i described earlier I, I ask, right, okay, what are the implications of the problem? What's yeah. the size of the potential impact? And the second... So they hate you coming then. They, yeah. <laughs> They're not yeah. too happy sometimes. Most people just go, okay, yeah, fine. I'll eat I'll take, eat less butter or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well, yeah. And even in the engineering sphere, when I come along, you know, I... They, there's some hard questions are asked but the key one is what are the implications what's yeah. the impact here potential impact blah 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 and the second one is what's your current status on root causes <laughs> right so in other words what is your logic on yeah. root causes where's your root cause diagram your kepner trago analysis i need to quickly get a picture does the team have a good grasp of root cause okay or are the team actually a little lost right so I asked the same questions of the doctor. I hate you, I'd say. <laughs> well, I asked them nicely. Yeah. So I basically asked, well, what's the implications of, say, I stay high in these for morbidity, mortality? Yeah. You know, what, what's the beef? And the answer was kind of a bit vague. Oh, it's not good. And yeah, you know, liver disease. And mm, yeah, yeah. So, okay, it was a bit vague. Mm. The second question is, uh, well, what are the things that would drive this up? Because... I figured I have a reasonable family history. I'm not a mutant. Um, it's unlikely to be some genetic disease because I got blood tests years before and they were always fine. Yeah. So I knew there's a special cause, what we call it. Okay. So I said, what are the causes uh, in what I do or eat or, or anything that, that drives these things up? Yeah. And to my shock, I got very little answer. So it was just like when I go into a problem-solving team and they're in crisis and I, I get called in. And when that question about root cause comes up and I, I get evasive answers lack of clarity and they're supposedly working on this for the past two months I know immediately okay back to 
back to the data. Yeah. I'm going to need to go back to the raw data right. because clearly the team is not sure. Yeah. So and you don't trust your doctor? Well, to be honest, I, I just thought... You, you don't know, know yourself, I, doctor, really. Well, on yeah. this particular thing, yeah. I, I don't know about anything else, maybe is is fantastic. So I thought, okay. So I went to another doctor. Mm. And I got the same result. Okay. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. These are standard blood tests. And I got a repeat test two weeks later, and they're essentially still high, so they were persistent. Standard blood tests, um, and there's no clarity on, on what affects them. There were a couple of reasons given, which turned out to be spurious, but, mm. but, but nothing concrete. Uh, so I went to a third doctor. Right. So now you can see probably, like we talked about earlier, the way I am. Yeah. Like, not only do I need to know but this is about my health and well-being. I have five children. I thought I was healthy. And now I'm looking at numbers here that really offend me. And uh, I got to know. So after three doctors, uh, I went myself and got a log on to ResearchGate and to PubMed. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to research these through the published scientific literature. Because if the three yeah. docs are not sure, there's no way I'm just going to pick up a book somewhere because they've got a full medical training and they're not sure. Yeah. So I went and I researched ferritin GGT in the published science. And when I go through data, and tape, I, I'm, I'm quick with that. Are you? So I've tried to read some medical papers from time to time and I just go, oh God, give me, just give me the, give me the summary. Give me the top line headlines, please. The, the abstract, uh, the problem with the abstra abstract I quickly found out was you can't really trust the abs abstract, the yeah. summary, because the summary can be like a root cause team that has their own ideas, but they're they're not actually entirely correct, and you need to look at the data. So I'd have mm. to go to the appendices and see the raw data and make my own mind up. Yeah. Uh, but I found out within a few days to my shock that ferritin and GGT are two biomarkers that are far more worrying when they're high than, say, cholesterol. Yeah. And yet I had always heard about cholesterol, but I'd heard nothing about these. But the mortality curves for GGT are frankly shocking. Okay. If your GGT is in the top fifth of the population, there's dramatic extra risk for liver cancer, for diabetes, for cardiovascular disease. And I'm looking at these graphs. I get the data. Right? I'm like, mm. these, are, these are a big deal. right? Yeah. So now I'm getting really shocked. Ferritin similarly. And if you're really, really high, super high risk. So I said, okay, so then I have to move to the next step. I know now my first question, how serious is this? Way more than the doctors were saying. Yeah. And the second question is, what are the root causes? Okay. Now, that got heavy. So in my language, you're kind of reading, getting results, you've researched them, and you're uh, seeing two, two or three things that if it continues this uh, road, you're looking at disease. So you're looking at more, your health is in serious risk. Yes, disease and uh, absolutely also mortality. I yeah. got plenty of data very fast on the predictive power of these things for mortal all-cause mortality, okay. the big one, right? So I said, okay, this is crazy. And one thing was a very high um, GGT uh, gives you a maybe up to a 20 times risk of liver cancer okay right. so hepatic cancer and then like they, they, these kinds of diseases are not good ones right no these are not i get that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. particularly liver or pancreatic cancer i mean mm. they're they're some of the most severe ones you can get mm. so so i've got i know now how serious it is and i'm under no illusions uh, but then i have to go and root cause it yeah now that was a big endeavor um i had my biochemical background i had 30 years of complex problem solving so I was in a massively great place to research the published literature. Mm. Uh, but still, obviously, you know, there's a lot in it. Yeah. Within a few weeks, though, I had largely worked out that the ferritin being high was a sign of metabolic syndrome. Um, the doctors weren't so aware of metabolic syndrome, which is also insulin resistance syndrome okay. or hyperinsulin syndrome. And basically what it is that the foods you're eating and the lifestyle you're following is leading to your pancreas releasing much more insulin than it should have to do. Okay. And when you release much more insulin provoked by your food and your lifestyle, right, because sleep and stress and, and many other factors, even sun exposure, can affect this problem, mm -hmm. more insulin, you develop insulin resistance where your body's tissues then begin to try and hold off the effects of insulin because you're driving something high that should not be so high 
and in a sense your body is delivering all this insulin to manage your blood glucose okay right because insulin manages blood glucose and lots of other things but driving hyperinsulinemia in time other parts of your body resist its action and you get insulin resistant okay and the worst thing you can be for your longevity and health in later life is to be insulin resistant right. so i call it the elephant in the in the room right it is the biggest thing in chronic disease or avoiding chronic disease and early death but it's not really talked about it hence it never even came up with the doctors okay now that's going to change in the next 10 years but yeah. that's the way it was right so long story short i discovered once i discovered and got into that vein of insulin resistance metabolic syndrome i, I was just like a ferret then i just mm. exploded out into the warrens of this massive disease process in the modern world mm. and then i was unstoppable right i every evening after work I would be locked in more papers, more papers, more papers. Yeah. And I began to lecture on this in, um, in my corporation to the engineers and technicians up to a hundred at a time. And I, I translated the complexity into a simpler message mm -hmm. and explained you, you can dramatically change your health and your longevity by just understanding all this stuff. Mm. You know, see, most of us, and speaking for myself, I suppose, say like a car, mm. unless there's something on the dashboard with a red light, I'm not really going to go and do the servicing because I just go, I have to be grand, right? And unless, you know, the tire breaks, then, you know, or, you know, there's a hole in the tire, I won't get it fixed. Or somebody says, look, they're a bit worn. Maybe you should think about getting them fixed. You just leave it. Now, in the last two or three years, I would go for the once over just because it was a bit of disease in my own family. And and it's a kind of, I kind of look at it as a checkup. But I, never from the perspective of, unless something was glaring or I'm feeling really tired or something's wrong, I'm kind of happy enough to let it go. So in, in other words, you were kind of, you were getting this information and you probably still felt okay, but this, the potential of something bad happened was enough for you to just dive deep into this. Is that exactly. Yeah. And uh, exactly like the work world, you know, after decades that if you ignore signs, sometimes even subtle signs, mm. uh, you can end up with an enormous issue. And if you're shipping out 10 million units yeah. a month, and, and if you basically ignore subtle signals, small signals, yeah, the potential for the potential is enormous because if you're making say ten or fifteen million million units a month and shipping them, and two or three months after the problem has been building, mm. you know you could have fifty million units warranty problem in the field. So mm. so the whole discipline of engineering is you can't ignore, mm. and and that's translated into when I had my experience. There's no way I'm going to ignore these. Yes, but, but I understand what you're saying that a lot of people do ignore small stuff. Yeah, unless there's something clear and present danger. Yeah. But the other thing is, if many doctors don't understand what I mentioned, insulin resistance, and how serious some of these signals are then they in turn will not be highlighting to people, you know, this is really serious. Yeah. Like happened to me, it was kind of like, ah, they're a bit high, yeah, checked a couple of things, it's, you know, it's stuff. Yeah, yeah it's grand, yeah. <laughs> it could be, probably got to be grand. Uh, but your life's too important to, to take that attitude. Uh, yeah, and is it like even just, uh, my doctor is fine, and he kind of said, yeah, your cholesterol's heading up there a little bit, but you're lucky it'll be grand for the next few years, come back when you're, you know, because I was saying, I think I should come here every year for a checkup just as a thing to do. I'd get my car or I might get my car checked up um, with that in mind. And he was kind of, um, yeah, I, I thought it was just interesting that he said something like, sure, you know, if we have to put you on tablets, we'll do that later on. <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting approach. And again, I didn't really think too much about it. He did suggest dietary changes going more Mediterranean. But anyway... I'm I'm going off the um the point, but it's just that kind of. He he's not certain really either of things, and he's saying it'll be grand. Should come back when you know if there's a problem, then we'll deal with it with medication or whatever. Right, which is a is a different approach because by the time you have a genuine problem that's clear and present, yeah. you may have been damaging your body for ten twenty years. Yeah, uh, and there are consequences for that. 
So you mentioned, yeah, like the car analogy, and it's a great one. Uh, a biologist once I was following said, you know, we are all machines, uh, highly complex machines, but machines nonetheless. Yeah. And we are. And what yeah. you put in the machine, the fuel and, and the other conditions the machine is in, dictate whether there's a long-lived you know, high powered machine or a machine that falls apart like yeah. many people are today, yeah. you know, in middle age. Uh, but I went, I went with this knowledge in the early days and gave these seminars and work. Um, and I explained to them what had happened to me when I had root caused the problem, the hyperinsulinemia and myriad other things I won't get into that are related to that. Uh, I changed my diet utterly to a low carb, high healthy fat diet. Yeah. Uh, I didn't start doing more exercise. I have been doing a bit of running. I didn't change that. I, I only changed the diet. And I had every expectation instinctively, just from my prior history, that I should absolutely dramatically lower these markers. In four to six weeks even, I should. You know, I knew all the mechanisms. I'd worked everything out. And I knew that the body should respond in a dramatic way okay now that's a big goal to, to set yourself for yeah. six weeks time to get another set of tests and to have fixed all the markers yeah uh, and that's exactly what happened right so ggt collapsed like a stone exactly as i knew it should from understanding the the, the pathophysiology and everything uh, the ferritin shot back down right into okay. the normal range i lost 30 pounds of weight or 15 kilograms which was almost like an aside is that like <laughs> two stones that, two stones approximately yeah yeah, yeah I was, I was in weak. six weeks uh well the two stones was eight weeks i did blood tests at six weeks and again i did further ones at eight or nine weeks and the weight was around eight and a half nine weeks okay so then give me um what you were eating typically beforehand and then what the low you know what was your typical kind of diet Right. My typical diet was I was trying to eat healthy food pyramids, so plenty of healthy whole grains. Okay. Uh, I was also, I discovered to my horror uh, afterwards when I learned about the liver and, and insulin and everything else, I was drinking a lot of juice, orange juice. Okay. And it was fresh squeezed. It was good stuff. And I thought, this is like my five a day. Yeah. So I liked it and I drank a lot of it. Yeah. So plenty of whole grains, whole wheat breads, sandwiches. I would have rice and pasta with my dinners. Mm -hmm. So I'd have a lot of- Whole things. grains, that, like breads? Oh, oh whole yeah, grain yeah, breads, yeah. yeah okay. Because back then before I, I had a road to Damascus conversion, I actually did the research and understood it. Yeah. I thought the whole grains, the orange juice, all this stuff was really healthy. Yeah. And uh, I ate it. Yeah. In large amounts. And when I would go running and I'd come back in, I'd be ravenous. I'd eat, I'd eat a lot of bread, sandwiches, but it was always whole grain. Yeah. It was good stuff. Yeah. And, and pasta, like I say. I was also probably eating, you know, chocolate and stuff like that and didn't think too much of it. The goodie in the evening time with the cup of tea? Yeah, that kind of thing. You know, not so much biscuits because, you know, it was more chocolate in the evenings. Yeah. Not a huge amount. But it, I would occasionally have pizzas as well. It wasn't like I had an amazingly good diet. Mm. Uh, when I discovered how important diet was, of course, I got rid of all that. All those easily digestible starches. I mean, bread is basically, it's the ultimate modern ultra-processed food. Refined grains, pulverized, rapid-release glucose. It's basically, bread is just bags of sugar. Right. Right. And it also has modern vegetable oils in there as well, which are a dreadful affliction. So I cut out all the breads. The yeah, yeah, so, so you, you're, you was kind of healthy. The odd, on you the know, surface. yeah, and like what, what, what weight? What, what, so what? I was around ninety-five and a half kilos, which is pretty heavy in stone. Yeah. It's probably like fourteen, fif heading fifteen. Fifteen, I'd say. yeah, okay. You know, but I, I had a fairly big build, and I didn't seem particularly fat. But mm. you'd have the roundy face, and yeah. The, you know, the padding all over and the stomach, you know, and the kind of man boobs, I think they call yeah, it. Boobs, you know, you have yeah. it all over, mm. uh, but not a big kind of huge belly, but but heavy set. Yeah. And um, when I went down to 80 kilos and under, uh, the, it was obviously a dramatic transformation. Yeah. I mean, you've probably seen my video. You said run on fat and I'm quite different from the portly 95 kilo man. Yeah, I was. Yeah. But um, and. So, so then, so for you, 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 that was the diet before, and so then for you started day one of this new diet. What did that consist of then? The new diet was switching to removing all of the high sugar carbs, starchy carbs. I took out 
most of the potatoes I was eating, the pasta went, all the breads essentially went. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, bread is pretty much pure glucose mm. and from what I understood now it made no sense to put that into a person who is afflicted with essentially a carbohydrate intolerance is what I had okay so I took out all of those stopped the juice immediately yeah immediately so that was all of what I took out I had learned a bit about vegetable oils mm. and how bad they can be so we had just generic oils there. All of those were gone and I had learned as well that processed food is stuffed with refined carbohydrates which is the killer yeah. and vegetable oils okay. so I took out a load of the processed food we took out all the cereals from the pantry mm. right? all those cereals and you know morning breakfast cereals all gone all pure glucose pretty mm. much with vegetable oils so you can imagine the elimination was eliminating essentially all of the crap modern processed food yeah and also pasta uh, potatoes and rice because I knew I had a carbohydrate challenge so I, I had to remove those as well mm. and what I replaced them with healthy fats so I began to eat grass-fed Irish fatty meats which I'd used to avoid because I knew they would give you a heart attack yeah such a lie certain yeah such a lie yeah it's just incredible I began to eat those I eat more fatty fish so with like you're talking beef I would eat beef, but lamb was a particular favorite. Lamb has been referred to by knowledgeable people as land salmon. Because lamb, especially if well-raised, grass-fed, uh, you know, is quite high omega-3, the good fats we mm. get in salmon. And it's very fatty too. Okay. So it's not too lean and high in protein, which I didn't want too much protein. And so lamb, um, basically fish, uh, the chicken as well, but with all the skin, duck, I was always fond of so I began to eat more duck so I would eat only twice a day and I would eat basically meat and veg yeah so non broccoli broccoli cauliflower non-starchy non-high glucose veg all the healthy veg but I wouldn't be eating a lot of fruits like apples bananas which are modern bread for sweetness fruits with a lot of carb yeah so I would avoid those and I'd go more for blueberries, strawberries, all the berry fruits that are okay. really healthy, but they're very low sugar. Yeah. People might be surprised. And mandarins? Mandarins would be quite high in sugar and fructose, uh, but occasionally eaten whole. The fiber in, in, the, uh, in the oranges when eaten whole can slow the glucose-fructose release. And can be pretty okay, but I wouldn't go crazy on lots of oranges. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, now, go on, sorry, yeah. But remember, what I was doing is, I was doing an engineering intervention. I had discovered all I needed to know about the mechanisms, the pathways, and what the problem was. So, I wasn't going to go in and take half measures. Mm. So, I, I was going to be fairly extreme. Now, yeah. I got extreme results by being extreme, but it's not to say to people that you can't have an orange. You know, that was a very severe implementation uh, to get immediate results. Yeah. Okay. So what's very interesting to me is that um, I think maybe two, was it, uh, probably was back in 2012, 2011, I did this, I was 15 stone and I did this um, two week fat burning diet, right? Mm -hmm. And it was basically greens, no sugar whatsoever no sugar whatsoever and it was uh, all fatty meats and uh, oily um, everything and um, and probably in two weeks I lost a stone more or less now it was horrendous I found it horrendous but I, especially for the first five days I was so used to the goodies so used to sugar I, I couldn't get my head around not having it but I, I, I just reached the point that either I was going to go from 15 stone up to 16 stone or I'm going to go the other way there was no way it was going to stay I was going to stay the same and so but I kind of got the impression when I was doing it oh you couldn't keep this going this is terrible for your heart and you, you know this is going to cause you um heart disease right? and you know that you can only do it for that period of time and then I went on to a kind of a lesser uh, you know really high fat kind of more medium and fruits were reintroduced and then maybe I lost another stone then 
over four weeks. So in a similar way, really, mine was more out of vanity that I, I was just sluggish, tired with the kids, and I just thought, no, I need to make a change, or I'm going the other way. But I had no science behind it, no um, anything, yeah, only from the the people in the gym said, was the Juco gym, they said, this will work. And But I was still worried, and anybody I talked to, they go, jeez, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get a heart attack. So you can't keep that going, you know. So what's your... Uh, Obviously, you have science behind that that's not going to cause your heart problems. Yeah, absolutely, Frank. So that has been the biggest myth of the last 50 years. So there may be people who have metabolic damage, who, you know, excessive animal fat and protein now because they've got a problem, like, Mm. say, diabetic problem or certain genetic types, may be sensitive to that. But overwhelmingly, for the human population, we evolved as hunter-gatherers, the most ideal human diet is very low in sugar and high glycemic, high sugar type carbs that raise your blood sugar. Mm. So you should eat healthy uh, diets like I described. What you described there at the start was quite, that would be a ketogenic diet. Yeah, okay, yeah. Taking out all carbohydrate. Yeah. Um, I don't believe people need that. It can be helpful for people who have diabetes or, or obesity. You know, they may be required to bring the carb very low but generally a healthy low carb diet with healthy fats is, is i would see as optimal and is there any yeah. healthy carbs then that are okay well the vegetables unless you're allergic to certain vegetable or plant world matter some some people are at varying ones but you know broccoli cauliflower you know leafy greens cabbages above ground leafy greens of all types and and bean sprouts There's just all of these low sugar vegetables and people can look up any vegetable they want and find out, you know, what percentage of it is is fiber and what percentage is pretty much sugar. And you stick to low sugar vegetables, above ground leafy vegetables is the best thing. Can I ask you what the the science is, I suppose, that say Mm. when you, you eat and you don't have a carbohydrate, well, for me... I do get that feeling of empty or that Mm. I'm just not full and I need that even though I need it and I don't want it that clunk that the sandwich will give you because I would feel that afterwards Mm. but it's almost that you crave that what is happening there that my body would crave that bit of toast and sandwich and all that like now even not white bread I wouldn't eat white bread but even the brown toast would load with butter what's I am the same. So if I eat any bread now from out in a restaurant, the moment I touch it, all I think is more. My brain yeah. is screaming at me. Yeah. One of the reasons is that over evolution, you know, if you came across fruits or sweet things, they're particularly unlikely to, to poison you compared yeah. to, say, rancid meat or something else, bacteria. So we're programmed. We were always lacking generally in nutrition. So if you come across energy, particularly in the autumn, you know, before winter, and we have autumn fruits and sweet things available, you know, your body will be programmed to build some buffer for the future. It has to be. Your body over evolution was not programmed to worry about an obesity or diabetes uh, epidemic, which we're now in the middle of Mm. due to our food supply. It never had to worry about that. It only had to worry about survival and getting through the winter. So there's kind of a hard wiring that carbohydrates particularly quick hit carbohydrates like you refer to they are they have a form of addictive nature to them yeah there's no doubt and and that's something we have to acknowledge Uh, the reason i don't eat any bread now really is because as soon as i go near it it screams more yeah and i mean you know what i said oh get that butter out and lash it on yeah you're in a restaurant they bring out those kind Mm. of uh, gourmet rolls yeah and you say you'll have half a one with the warm butter yeah not possible. Boom, gone. Next minute there's crumbs. Yeah. And that's the way it is. And that's something we have to just accept. If you tailor a well-formulated low-carbohydrate diet with lots of delicious ancestral foods and get used to the nutrient-dense fishes, meats, and all these kinds of things, or sausage that's properly made, not stuffed with carbohydrate, kind of grain fillers, and, and you eat the vegetables with the mm-hmm. fiber, with it gives you more satiety and is much more a balanced meal we'd expect. Remember yeah. meat and two veg? Yeah. That was always the phrase. Yeah. So people 60, 70 years ago didn't see meat to be- veg 
and a big pile of pure glucose in the form of rice. Yeah, potatoes, big pile of potatoes. Pile of potatoes, but you're, you're right. You get potatoes or rice and cover them with sauces or fatty mm. butter, and it is explosive. Yeah. And I think it's primarily a survival instinct yeah. because there was never a problem in evolution of getting too fat and diabetic. It didn't happen. Mm. And we weren't really encoded for that. We were encoded to make sure we had enough nutrition, enough energy. So there obviously is an adjustment period, though, because let's just say I have tried, not that I've tried, because I know if I really put my mind to it, I I absolutely could do it. But it's like bringing in a little bit of bread into your diet, just almost, it is addictive, because I just want it more and more. But so how do you, there is a phase, it must be a phase where you have to get through I read about fat adaption from carbohydrate adaption. How do you get from that and how long does it take? Okay, very good question. It varies, but usually for people, in my case and in many people's case, it's literally a few days to a week. Okay. That, you know, when you initially, and just to briefly explain, so your body has enzymes to digest food and to do myriad different processes. And if you're eating a high carb and lower fat diet, your body is basically tooled up to process that carbohydrate. Mm. When you suddenly go to a low carb, high fat diet, your body has to go, right, we gotta make a whole new array of, of fat burning enzymes. So, and it's quite, it's quite a process. The nuclei in your body have all the, every cell in your body has your full DNA. And in your DNA is all the encoding for all the proteins and enzymes you need. Mm, So what actually happens when you switch your diet is your body has to go back to the nucleus, get the encoding for the enzymes it needs more of and start making them by the millions and billions. So during that process, you know, you're set up to be a carb burner and suddenly you're putting a different fuel ratio completely into the mix, like diesel into a petrol engine. Mm. And there is a period that varies for people where you adapt. And the adaptation is basically all your body's tissues and these enzymes need to be made in big supply to process fat foods. And then what will fall away are the machinery that processed carb. And that's a transition. Okay. And during the transition, it's called the the low carb or keto flu people can feel loss of energy they can feel irritable um one common problem is that people are not getting enough magnesium and potassium and salt salt yeah yeah because carbohydrate foods often bring uh, reasonable amounts of those Mm. and when you suddenly go to a high fat diet you have a lot of water loss you can go lower in salts and that can make you feel fluey and, Mm. and not so well cravings are another problem that the sudden change to the machine can leave your body like spike a response of of asking for hey i want my old stuff back Mm. and cravings are going to be a challenge like giving up smoking yeah Uh, but the key is to understand that what i just said and that's what's happening and in understanding it makes it vastly easier yeah because so then if i take it that last year i i was training for a marathon and um, I've watched run on fat in the last uh, couple of weeks or since um, actually since you replied to me on email but um, but last year I did it and then I, I, just, I can't remember the sequence of events but I decided to go on the fat burning uh, uh, and I think I had a long run on a Saturday I went out on the Saturday morning I had eggs and bacon for my breakfast before I went out that was it so I felt kind of empty going out and I went out running and uh, at a certain point I was I kept going and I, kept, I made it all the way home but at a certain point I went okay this is there's something wrong here I'm, I'm this is not good I came home I, I was ill physically ill from the run and uh, I think once I recovered from that I came downstairs and I had ate a half a loaf of bread Classic. So, is it classic? Yeah, that's what I used to do. Yeah. Well, the thing about sports performance, when I was talking there, it's mainly about ordinary people to get healthier for longevity yeah. and, and lack of disease. Sporting is, is interesting. The world record holder, I think, for the 100 mile run now, Zach Bitter, or at least he's a record holder, and many more endurance athletes mm-hmm. are going absolutely this way yes they're becoming fat burners yeah now they still do take carb 
prior to a race or, or and some replete afterwards yeah so for sporting performance if people think of it that your fat tissue if you become a fat burner you've got maybe a hundred thousand calories waiting to be burned yeah if you're a great fat burner during steady endurance running yeah you will be able to burn that at twice the rate of a person who's not fat adapted yeah that's great but you've also got glycogen which is kind of like a carb or sugar based energy store and that has around 2000 calories okay so if you're going to perform in sport often the strategy is to kind of fill up your glycogen before mm-hmm. you run and you can pull from that rapid access like for sprinters need to use glycogen okay you know, fat burning is more slow and steady it's a better way to live but it's slower and steady for endurance sports right if you're going to run really hard the way i describe it is kind of fill up your glycogen battery with carb in advance like porridge oats like like stuff like that and again i'm not a big sporting person yeah, but yeah. this is generally how it works and then you can be drawing from your glycogen while also because you're a fat adapted person mm. and in athletes they've done this low carb high fat long-term athletes can burn fat at twice the rate per minute their body fat than their high carb colleagues Okay. The, the graphs are stunning mm. they used to think that one gram per minute was the absolute human maximum the belief for decades in sporting history and, and sporting physiology was the humans can get up to 0. 0.8 0. 0.9 grams per minute fat burning from their body fat mm. and they're also of course using their glycogen and as you run further you deplete your glycogen sugar stores and you have to burn more fat but you're limited to a matter of 0.9 grams now athletes who are fat adapted low carb diets low carb trainers they have shown they can get up to 1.6 1.7 1.8 grams per minute fat burning okay that's changing the sport Hmm. but if we get back to how you feel unless you're fully fat adapted and it may take months for a sports person right you're not going to really have that amazing fat burning during performance and if you're used to having a full glycogen battery i call it and then you go pretty suddenly down to having depleted glycogen and running hard yeah okay. your body's going to get a bit of an up a bit of a disturbance yeah okay so it's not to be taken lightly for sports people mm. for ordinary people who want to live longer be healthier resolve their cardiovascular disease diabetes all of these modern chronic diseases a healthy low carb high healthy fat diet fantastic but for the sports people you you'd need to delve into it more and get your own strategy yeah you know it's a specific it's a specific application yeah and uh, i've described it briefly but it's kind of specialized and different people will for sporting performance find different things work better for them Mm. you know they're they're tuning and honing yeah okay Um, so then getting back to the kind of ordinary daily living and um, I suppose to try and kind of for me to understand a bit better about this I you know this big myth that by eating more fats healthy fats that you're still or our fats let's just call them fats whether because healthy is what we will get to mm. but this idea of eating way more meat and uh, vegetables and no potatoes, rice, or you know, reduce taking that out of your diet. Still, there is that view of uh, heart disease, right? So, how did that come about? That because that's that was rock salad, solid. You're going to get heart disease now if you continue eating that sort of diet, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it, it my initially when I began to research this, it, it was around at least two whole weeks before I realized that was completely misleading mm. <laughs> to the point of being essentially a lie but it but it wasn't malicious they mixed things up very badly in the 50s and 60s and 80 or 70s and um and i know this can happen as well in complex problems people get misled by correlations the shortest version is essentially they knew cholesterol related to heart disease Mm. higher cholesterol or bad cholesterol generally tracked with higher heart disease now that doesn't prove it causes it Mm. it's it's just an association okay so it's a correlation and we know in engineering you you can never ever if you see a correlation between two things it could mean one is driving the other or it could mean one is connected to something else indirectly that drives the other right so it could be really careful but anyway 
the whole world fell in love with the cholesterol was causing the heart disease and it was the big thing. Now, heart disease exploded in the 19th and 20th centuries. Absolutely exploded. To be honest, the cholesterol didn't really change. That's been around for millions of years. It's a crucial molecule, mm. you know, and the system that transports it around the body, the lipoprotein system, LDL is low density lipoprotein, okay. carries cholesterol. It's a very exotic system. But that's been around forever, but the heart disease has exploded. It's not really the cholesterol, it's what disturbs and destroys your cholesterol transport system. So they were kind of half right, something to do with cholesterol. But when they firmly believed that cholesterol was the big problem, they also began to learn that if you ate fat, and saturated fat particularly, it could in some people tend to raise the cholesterol. Mm. So now you've got, you can see how remote we are getting away from the true mechanisms. Mm. We've got correlations and associations going back from cholesterol back to fat. But Ansel Keys, a researcher in the 60s and 70s, became a huge name in heart disease. And he did the six and seven countries study. It was only correlations, and we know now they didn't really mean anything. Mm. But compelling graphs were shown between the consumption of fat and heart disease rates for different countries. Okay. And once that began to happen, and he was an extremely charismatic individual, he had membership of uh, the American Heart Association. I think he, be, he got on the board. And the whole world, America and then the world, just followed that this is it. Higher cholesterol caused by higher fat is what's driving heart disease. It right. was it was a mistake because we know now from the studies since then that it was only a correlation and really you can get many correlations in other studies where higher fat means lower heart disease. So it was all kind of noise, statistical noise and, and associations. In fact, France has the highest saturated fat consumption, around 15%. Double America at that time, and they had a third of the heart disease. Mm. So it's like it's like any engineer coming in would look at the graph and say, "But hold on a sec, there's so many directly opposing correlations yeah. that say the opposite." You don't don't go public with this. You're going to make a fool of yourself. But but they got away with it because everyone rolled with it. Uh, did I hear you say something about um, not today, but in one of your videos about fifty two percent of people in America are pre diabetic. Is, is that something like that right? Is it? It's fifty-two percent in a recent study of American adults are pre-diabetic or full diabetic. Ah. Uh, the number I would say is higher because that was only looking at their glucose. But if you look at their blood insulin, you'll find people at earlier stage. And it's, it just is it in really simple terms? It's because they put sugar in everything. Is it is it not so simple as that? Like even their bread, there's definitely sugar in their bread. It's just everything. It seems no. It, it's not as simple as carbs cause but diabetes on their own. Um, it's a little more nuanced. So I would say from the current research, uh, no one has ever done a trial to prove this. Mm. So a, a randomized human trial to prove what I'm going to say. But all of the mechanistic data and all of the associational data and basically everything we see when you implement the right diets in people's blood markers I would say that sugar and refined carb combined with vegetable oils, modern man-made fats, mm. um, and ultra-processed food generally, which contains both. If you eliminated all of what I just said, all of that stuff, mm. your population would find it extremely hard to get diabetic, never mind become an epidemic. Right. So right. I'd say the combination of sugar, refined carbs, and vegetable oils would be the big triad to absolutely avoid if you don't want a diabetes diagnosis type 2 diabetes type okay. 1 is is much rarer it's autoimmune it, it's different but the type 2 modern diet and lifestyle diabetes and yeah, i'll wow. throw in one more figure yeah. that the very latest data i have is that around 64 percent of over 45s in america adults are now pre-diabetic or diabetic and myself and Dr. Gerber, my co-author uh, with our book, Eat Rich, Live Long, which explains all of this, uh, we reckon from his practice and my research and the data, probably 75% of over 45s are essentially diabetic if you measured insulin properly. 
So right. we have a situation now where by hook or by crook, we have America and Ireland will be behind us, but moving along to catch up. We have the majority of our adults now share a common pathology, a common disease state. It is type two diabetes. You can also call it insulin resistance syndrome that I mentioned at the start. You can mm. also call it hyperinsulinemia syndrome. You can also call it metabolic syndrome. In other words, most of our population now suffer from a, diet, a disease process that is the biggest single driver we know from the research of most modern chronic diseases, including cardiovascular disease, many cancers, sleep apnea, polycystic ovarian syndrome is kind of an epidemic too. That's, that's the hyperinsulinemia disease of the women. Mm. Um, and prostate enlargement is the, is the hyperinsulinemia disease of the men. It's a great sign for that. Uh, so it's the PCOS of the men, it's, it's being called. Uh, Alzheimer's is now being called, quite rightly in my mind, type 3 diabetes. Okay. And I've even heard Parkinson's in one paper referred to as type 4 diabetes. So what people need to understand is you don't need to know a huge amount up front beyond that the hyperinsulinemia, insulin resistance problem, which you'll see in high blood glucose, high blood insulin, high GGT, high ferritin and many other markers or your cholesterol ratios tell you you've got this problem. Mm. That's how cholesterol's connected. Long story short, if most modern people have this one common disease process, it's the one common disease process that everyone should be talking about. Mm. And I learned that after a few weeks research six years ago. I don't want to blow my trumpet here, but I just did because I became obsessed and that's my... That's well, you my can job. tell, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I still yeah. am. I yeah. still have to pinch myself, Frank, even now when I see these stats, I stop for a moment and after six years of deep research and speaking all over the world on this, you'd think I'd be taking it for granted. Yeah. But I still suddenly think this is insane. Mm. It's so insane what I described there that six years into this, it still strikes me sometimes. Boom. Well, so one way or another then this is going to, this it sounds like it could be a bit of an epidemic then in the next whatever 10 years like you did say that actually that that this will manifest then one way or another it it's already manifested for anyone who who has a clue about what's happening and reads the literature or the stats i mentioned mm. um but it will become more and more unavoidable in the coming years the emerging developing nations china now has a diabetes type 2 crisis america's had it for a long time the amputations of limbs in India, they have a massive diabetes crisis with the poor. Of course, they're taking all the refined sugar and, and, and sugary drinks now, and they have vegetable oils. India's awash with vegetable oils, so is China. Mm. So uh, Brazil now has a diabetes, I think one of the highest rising rates of diabetes in the last 20 years in the world. They started off at flat nothing, mm. and they're just going through the roof. Massive sugary drink consumption. Saudi Arabia, I know Saudi Arabian doctors. In fact, I, I have colleagues, doctors all around the world in my network in all of these countries. They're all saying the same thing. They're saying it's, it's Armageddon. It's right. insane. So yeah, the, we, we are in the tsunami of chronic disease based on the processes I, I described. Yeah. And we're going to have to address them. And they are being addressed. Verta Health in America now Actually, it was the billionaire in the run on fat film mm. has funded and built a startup and they are applying very low carb ketogenic diet to people with type 2 diabetes and their results are stunning. Exactly like I, I experienced years yeah. ago. They have 60% reversed their diabetes. Essentially, their blood glucose now says they're not diabetic after a year 60% of type 2 diabetics and the medical system believes that's a chronic progressive disease never mm -hmm. goes back always goes forwards 60% reversed essentially or in remission 90% reduced or eliminated all their medications wow. in a year and this is happening there are papers and trials all over the world saying this but they're not getting into the media so that, mm -hmm. that is the gap so the big gap in dealing with this tsunami is how do you get everyone to, to be cognizant of what I described about hyperinsulinemia and this problem in the same way that they all knew about fat and cholesterol 20 years ago? 
Mm. How, how do you and you need mass media for that yeah you do and then you obviously have a, um, a, a huge and this is a different conversation entirely but you have a huge pharmaceutical industry that is not really vested in that arguably I mean then we're getting a little bit conspiracy theory but I mean mm-hmm. if your business is people who are sick and you've loads of healthy people you don't have a business yeah whatever way you want to look at it yeah true and I the conspiracy the irony is I, I'm such a tech head and and an anti-conspiracy theorist yeah. I agree with you I, I hate those kind of phrases but you have to say them because for me I, I'm a corporate guy for 10, 20 uh, well actually 30 years and the reality is that this is just business so it's not actually conspiracy theory conspiracy yeah. theory is when you think you know like the church has got these secret operatives or the masons or you know maybe Bill Area 51 yeah whatever and and, yeah. and, and, the, and the, the Twin Towers the FBI did an inside job these are all things that don't marry with the data but the thing about this is it's not really conspiracy it's just a natural evolution of the modern business capitalist society yeah. that the system which has money that can pay for research and pay for messages will always lean towards funding what what helps itself yeah and for decades now pharmaceutical have been funding heavily into medical education of doctors they're obviously involved in all of the trials they're engaged with every part of the medical system we also have the food companies the ultra processed food companies which are behemoths in the world and they are funding a ton of science as well and you can figure out what the science might be saying and it does say oh sugar doesn't seem to be as bad as we thought and oh processed grains we did an experiment we don't see a major problem so the biggest industries in the world food and pharma are just in the position of the last 50 years that the cholesterol and fat theory is a massive boon for them Mm. and what i described the refined carb sugar seed oils and processed foods are the problem is a massive massive business impact if that if that became the norm yeah because everyone would get we've talked about ver to myself and i have testimonials and my colleagues around the world we have people all over the world losing 50 60 pounds their bloods are transforming they're literally transforming themselves imagine everybody applied this formula that we just discussed mm. properly the medications market would would i mean wall street would would be furious and the food yeah. companies would so, have, and yeah. I've always we were kind of talked a little bit I looked into the medicinal mushroom thing last year and what I came away from the whole thing was that I felt within our grasp our multiplicity of things that are free that that within that are so easy to do and change that if you were to do all those things first before you started taking vitamins and whatever if you did all the kind of free things first You've you've ninety five percent. The machine is going to work to ninety five percent of its. It, maybe you can get an extra five percent from all these other nutrients and these vitamins and all that. Maybe that, but there is ninety five percent of the body that can be sorted with free things, with easy access things. In principle, yes, I would agree, and I always refer to the Pareto principle, the eighty twenty rule. Yeah. Do twenty percent of the stuff that you could do to fix a problem or help, but if it's the right top twenty percent, you get eighty percent of the result. Yeah. Rough and tough. So I would say, if you go to the core of it, if if everyone who is interested in their health eliminated sugars, refined carbs, and seed oils, these industrial, uh, I've heard it called, runoff from an industrial settling tank these vegetable oils and seed oils that are everywhere and in every food if people eliminated those the processed foods refined carbon sugars just did that 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 would be a kind of a 2080 i mean that would be an enormous impact on your health Mm. uh, alone and then if you wouldn't add in more things of course exercise is very good some people are never really going to do much of it but that's good and there are a few handful of really cheap non-fancy vitamins and minerals like magnesium and potassium Mm -hmm. you can get it in bulk form and just mix it with food and they are very important elements and most people are magnesium deficient nowadays and it is actually important Mm -hmm. but but there is like in our book we go through the list of minerals and vitamins what they are which ones are more important 
and they're not like buying someone's branded nutraceuticals. Yeah. I, I give one little example. Cod liver oil is full of really important components for a human body. It's fantastic. If you don't like fish, cod liver oil will kind of give you some of the benefits. Yeah, okay. But um, if you buy the pills of omega-3 capsules, I worked out from looking at the back of a packet and this 7Cs cod liver oil, high strength, good stuff, well made. The pills are 10 times the cost per unit of omega-3. Yeah. Now imagine, imagine 10 times the cost. So there are smart choices to be made. Mm. Old fashioned cod liver oil, 10 times cheaper than buying the pills. Most people are buying the pills and that's marketing. Oh, you're a marketing guy. And, and, uh, <laughs> I, I, that's me. But, and I think you see as well, what we like the most is, and we all, uh, is this idea that it's easy. It's like, mm. you know, um, I'll buy the nice runners and I'll buy my nice Garmin watch and sure, that'll do the running for me. And I look like that, but it's, it won't do the running for you. And But I, I was going to ask you one, because uh, actually we could, I could talk to you for another few hours. Um, <laughs> we could do another hour. Yeah, I think we should uh, do another one um, when you get back maybe from your wor- world tour. Um, I was going to ask you about intermittent fasting. Uh, what's your sense of intermittent fasting? I think it's very good, intermittent fasting. I, I love it. In fact, to be honest, if someone said to me now, you can't do intermittent fasting from, from tomorrow, I'd actually really have a, I'd be clammy. I, I, that would really upset me yeah. because I see it as a central tool. Uh, in short, intermittent fasting, we, myself and Dr. Gerber, my co-author, like to call it meal skipping. Yeah. Rather than having all exotic, exotic things to do, just keep it simple. Just skip the occasional meal until you become fat adapted and used to fasting if you're on a high carb food pyramid diet and you try and suddenly just skip some meals you're going to feel like crap Mm. right you know you skip a lunch in the afternoon you you got brain fog just to show how dramatic the results are because i'm fat adapted and fasting adapted the exact opposite happens so i say this sometimes to people if i've got a big stage appearance say 600 people and i'm speaking for an hour and i need to be at my best the previous 24 hours I eat nothing yeah I, I go in there 20 that, now, yeah. that is high performance mm. I see it as a performance drug and what basically happens when you're fat adapted fasting adapted when you're not eating your stomach feels kind of hollow there's yeah. a little feeling but you can ignore the signal you feel edgier sharper you feel alive yeah I, I totally agree with that now it's yeah. it's so super yeah but people and I have to say again, if you are eating a food pyramid, high carb diet, which are pasta, your rice and your some veggies and bit of meat, and you're eating the standard higher carb diet, you know, you can't do it. You must first get fat adapted, lower carb diet for a couple of weeks, level things out, maybe take your magnesium, potassium, sodium supplements because you might have an adaptation period. But once you're leveled out, you can start turning on the fasting lever mm. or lever. And wow, that is a hell of a tool. It's number four in our 10 top levers or okay. tools in the book. I, in short, it's amazing. And, you know, the people talk about, I love this paper came out a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago. The neurological benefits of exercise are known and accepted by the world of science and everyone. Mm. Exercise gives neurological and many other benefits. A recent study showed that one of the reasons it does is because exercise, like fasting, lowers your glucose and raises your beta-hydroxybutyrate, BHB. And when you're fasting or when you've exercised, your brain gets fueled by BHB more so than just glucose. Mm. And they have tied the mechanisms of brain uh, neurological benefits from exercise to this active uh, fuel and it's also a signaling molecule bhb and that's what you get from fasting yeah so i always knew years ago that fasting is the exercise you do without moving Mm. but in recent years i've got more and more papers around why and the mechanisms it's lower glucose lower insulin higher bhb and many other mechanisms are similar when you're fasting as to when you're exercising it ties yeah. together i mean it, it, yeah and so and from and from my experience of it it is it, you talked about that edginess after there's the feeling of the hollowness 
because I probably did it on more carbs and then I just go like that on it. Oh. It was tough, but I still kind of like that this, the discomfort almost is alive. It's almost that feeling of I'm sharper. I, <laughs> now, I can't be in the kitchen watching all the food cooking or anything like that. I'd be working away furiously. Mm. Um, but my focus and attention span and alertness and decision making, all those things, I'm way more confident in their accuracy as opposed to did i make the right decision there or whatever whereas on that it's yeah it's very interesting shit look we, i'm going to stop this because we've got so much but hopefully i get you back because it's really really interesting stuff thank you so oh, much thanks a lot Hi, if you like the conversation that I just had and you'd like more, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you. Frank, Frank, what a man.